Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I want to thank the team that put that drama together. Um, it's not an easy thing to watch, but for a lot of people, I think that parallels the story um, of their life and their journey towards Jesus. And so thank you for working so hard and putting that together. Jerry and Betsy, especially, I want to thank you for your leadership over that team. And also, I want to thank our, our team who does our children's ministry. And I uh, really got touched watching that video of the kids listening to God. We have some budding theologians. Their spelling needs a little work. But um, <laughs> just when you see the way that kids relate to God, um, I think there's something beautiful because they don't have years of cynicism and pain and failure and doubt um, that cakes over their hearts. This morning, if I could have the clicker, that would be awesome. Does anybody have it? Thank you. Uh, this morning, it's Easter Sunday. Thanks, Stefan. And I want to share with you a message about something we call the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe um, you have some guesses as to where this message will go. Uh, Just hang on and stay with me from the beginning to the end. I think God has something he wants to say to encourage us. This is not going to be a fire and brimstone message. Um, It's not going to be a message that will produce guilt or regret. It's a message that I have been praying all week will produce hope and encouragement in each of you. You know, this past Friday, we had Good Friday service, and uh, I want to thank Pastor Jared for really pulling together a lot of different people and teams, and for me, I just got to worship. It's been a really long time since I went to church, and I actually just went to church. I didn't have to do anything other than go, and uh, it was such a needed thing for me. And on Good Friday, we focused during that entire service on some of the last words Jesus spoke from the cross. And it's right that we do that. Every year on Good Friday, it's right that we remember the very high cost of our salvation. If you really think about it, the cross is just a ubiquitous symbol in our culture. And I think there are very few people in the United States who, when they see one shape or another, one form of the cross, would not at least know it has something to do with Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. We talk a lot in church about the cross. In fact, I would say that most of you here have at least a reasonably developed theology of the cross. And by the theology of the cross, what we mean is this idea that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, bore a cross which is a symbol of self-denial, shame, sacrifice, and death. And as he bore that for our sakes, he purchased our redemption, our freedom, And as a result, we are called to also live like him in self-denial and to carry our own crosses. That is a very important part of the Christian faith. It is a message that our whole world needs to hear more of. Because if you look around you, there is just so very little selflessness in our world. What you see instead is everybody is out for themselves And whatever is wrong with your life is wrong with your life. As long as it doesn't spill over and touch mine, so much the better. And so I think it's right that we have a very robust teaching in the church on the theology of the cross. But I think there's an imbalance in the church. 
and the imbalance is that while we say a lot about the theology of death and sacrifice and denial, we kind of park there and we don't say as much about the resurrection, which is the great news that follows the story of death. Because if it stops with Good Friday, it just stops with the message of self-denial and death. You know what that does after all? If all you hear is deny yourself, sacrifice yourself, give up, die. But there's never an emphasis on the good news, the hope of life that comes after death. Well, what that produces is a deep, deep soul weariness. Even a despair that I don't think I can keep on going, carrying the cross The hope of Easter Sunday never comes. So that's why I think the message of the resurrection of Jesus is so important. In fact, if you read the New Testament and look for all the sermons that were preached by the the followers of Jesus, what you'd be surprised to discover is every single sermon centers around the key theme of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the single most important sermon subject in the entire New Testament. And yet it's not addressed enough in our churches today. The resurrection of Jesus has everything to do with victory over death. Now, some of you guys know, if you've been going to our church for a while, that I worked once as a surgical technician for about a year. And when a surgical team is starting to lose a patient, the entire OR bursts into a frenzy, a flurry of activity. It's like controlled chaos. I've seen it a couple times, and it's as if everybody knows what they're doing. They're in a rush. Everybody's in a panic because we have a small window in which we have to scramble to do everything we can to save that patient's life. But when that patient flatlines and the EKG stays there, as soon as the team knows there's nothing more to do, something interesting, something powerful happens in the room. There's this heavy hush that just suddenly enfolds the whole room. No one has to give a cue. It's just as if all this frantic activity, this movement ceases at one moment. Usually the lead surgeon will call for the time of death. It will be recorded. And then where there once was motion everywhere, there's just absence of any motion. You just stop. And that ceasing of motion is such a loud statement about the the fact that Death is the one thing that makes us feel truly helpless and powerless. They do everything they can, but at some point they realize there is nothing more that can be done. And so movement seems almost profane, inappropriate. And you just stop as if to say it's done now. That's the thing about death. It's so final It's so irreversible. When it happens, there is nothing to be done about it. And in the face of death, we are profoundly confronted with this truth, which we deny all the time, that there is really so little power, so little control you and I have over anything. We try to buy our way into the illusion that we can control a lot. If I jog and I jog and I jog, I'll live forever. No, you won't. You just have a a better fit in the casket. (laughs) You won't live forever. And every day we try to prolong this illusion that I can change everything, control everything, but death is that one thing that comes, ah, wrong. You can't. 
control very much at all. And that's why in the face of that bleak, harsh reality, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is such good news for us. Because where we're completely powerless in the face of death, the resurrection of Jesus is this. He beat death. He did what we could not do. None of us, try as we might, cannot beat death. But in verse five, it's, 9, it says, Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Listen to this. Death no longer has any power over him. And when Jesus beat death, he didn't just beat it for himself. But as a representative of all of us, he beat death on our behalf. Listen to what Paul wrote in his second letter to his spiritual protege, Timothy. He says this. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, listen, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When Jesus beat death, when he walked out of that tomb, what he did was he brought access to us to real life, and to immortality. Now, most sermons I've heard on the resurrection focus entirely on an apologetic trying to prove that it happened. We could do that, but I think it wouldn't be the best use of our time. I'm going to presume for the moment that the resurrection was a historical fact. If you'd like to buy me lunch and have me explain that further, I would love to. It is for me a foregone conclusion. The easiest thing in the world would have been to squash this foolish notion of people rising from the dead. The ones who opposed this message had all the power in the world at that time. And they could not stop the reality that Jesus escaped the clutches of death and walked out of a tomb in the face of the greatest earthly power known to the world at that time. So we presume then that it's a historical fact. What I want to focus on is what it means that Jesus walked out of that, that tomb that day. What does it mean for us? Why is the resurrection of Jesus good news? And I think there are two senses of the resurrection that apply to us. When Jesus rose again from death, he also made available to us a resurrection of our own. I would even say that there are two resurrections we will share in because of what Jesus has done. And that first resurrection is our future resurrection. Our future resurrection. I'm going to develop that a little more. So just hang with me. If you go especially through Europe or parts of New England and visit some old, old churches, not really newer ones, but really old churches, what you're going to find next to the church is something morbid. You're going to see a cemetery right adjacent to the church building. I don't know if we're going to do that when we get a building. I've always kind of joked, I hope I get planted under the oak tree in front of our church. I just want to be a one-church pastor for the rest of my life, and I think it would be awesome to be planted on the church grounds as long as our church doesn't relocate somewhere and leave my body behind. But you wonder, what is that? Is that a morbid lesson to everybody as they walk into church on Sunday? Oh, there's the graves better shape up because death it's not the point it wasn't to send a, a, a morbid message of the reality of death that wasn't the point at all do you know why they put the graves right next to the church 
Because they believed in a doctrine the Bible teaches that we are forgetting every day. And that doctrine is the bodily resurrection of the dead, which is promised in Scripture. This idea that one day the dead in Christ will rise. I wonder if some of our fascination with zombies isn't rooted in some deep subconscious acceptance that death isn't the end. I don't know if I want to come back as a zombie. That wouldn't be that much fun. But there's this deeply entrenched conviction in us that refuses to accept that death is it. That that's the final story. And I don't believe that we have conjured up a faith in order to make us feel better at night about that. I believe it's the other way around. I believe that we have this unwillingness to accept it because the truth is that death, in fact, is not the end. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians four sixteen to 17. This passage is why the old churches put the graves next to the church. Because when this day comes, they want all their dearly departed to be close to home as we have this reunion with Jesus. Here's what it says. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. That is something the Bible teaches that, frankly, modern Christians are a little embarrassed by. Like, man, you had me until this crazy stuff about dead people coming out of their graves and being reunited with their souls and rising. But, you know, I think that there are harder things to believe. And one of the challenges that faces us as Christians is, can you believe all that the Bible teaches? Without having to explain away some of the parts that everything in our earthly experience so far can't support. And I know that this is a stumbling block for a lot of people. Verses like this are the reason that they comfortably dismiss Christianity and move on with their lives. Even while at certain moments of stark honesty, there is a nagging that says maybe there's something to all of this. It's verses like this that go, oh yeah, I forgot they're crazy, all of them. (laughs) Just forget it, move on. I believe with all my heart that that day is going to come. And did you hear what I said? I can't prove it, but I believe it because the one who says these things is trustworthy to me. He has proven himself in a thousand other ways, and I have no good logical reason to disbelieve him. I may be proven wrong, but that's why we call it faith. Just like when you stand at an altar and the other person looks at you, you go, I love you forever and ever, and you go, okay, I hope so. But that's not always the case, is it? Sometimes you just step out in faith and you have no idea where that journey will end. But without faith, it is impossible to know or to please God. And I believe with all my heart that the bodily resurrection of the dead is a reality that's going to happen. Here's why I think that's good news for a lot of people. First, there's an aspect of reunion. I want you guys to think about something. When you go to a funeral, especially if you go to the funeral of a Christian friend or family member, in our minds we believe and we know that they are in a better place. 
In fact, we even say those words to comfort one another. It's okay. They're resting now. They are in a better place. And we know in our minds and our hearts, we do believe that. And yet we cry. Why do we cry at a Christian funeral? Why do we weep over those who have died in Christ? Well, I'm not telling you, don't cry. I cry. But where do those tears come from? And I think if we're really honest about it, it's because even if I believe their soul is in a better place, it's their body I knew. And their body is now being laid in the ground and covered with dirt. And I won't have that body near me. I won't get to see them look into my face with those eyes. I won't get to hear their voice. Do you know how powerful it is to hear a familiar voice? And when that voice is silenced, something is missing in our lives. I was... I was taken aback by how powerful smells are. Recently, my wife bought a a perfume on Amazon that she wore 20 years ago when we were courting. And when I smelled it in the box, something strange happened to me. I was transported in time to to when I was a much younger man. And the, the power of smell, and even without the adornments of perfume, do you know that you and I have a smell? Man, I miss the smell of some of the people that I've had to say goodbye to and bury. You can know their soul's in a better place, but you miss what it felt like to have them hug you, to kiss them, to just sit with them. Because the way that we know and love each other is so rooted in these bodies of ours, isn't it? I don't look at my kids and soul to soul. I just go, mm, you know, right? I don't just soul love them. I hug them. I kiss them. I tell them things. I let them smell me. Because so much of the way we know and love each other is rooted in this. And when we put that away, even if it's just for a while, breaks our hearts. And so Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians and talking about the resurrection one day, he says this. Where is that verse? Is it here? Well, let me just read it for you. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Listen. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. I know I'm not the only person in this room who has laid to rest somebody they deeply love. For some, those memories are fresh. You may have moved on, but in a way, you never move on from the death of someone you love. You can't really fully recover until that day. Because our hearts long for reunion. And the promise of the resurrection is this. One day, reunion will happen. One day, you will actually see them again. And I'm not talking about floating past another blob of light that was somebody's soul and going, Oh man, I wish I I got to know your soul better. I can't recognize you. It says that our bodies will rise. 
I believe with my heart that we will recognize each other, that we will know each other because we will not be disembodied beings of light. We will have our bodies. And one day, you will look into those eyes again. And you will hug those arms again. You will smell that smell, minus the corruption of the fall. Praise God. One day, we will be reunited. Here's another reason why I believe our future resurrection is good news. It's repair. You know, if we're honest about it, even though we're all biologically and physically alive right now in this room, I think, life is not an equal experience for all of us, is it? For some of us, we breeze through life on legs that work, on eyes that work, ears that work, hands and feet that work. Everything on our bodies just works. But for others, there are infirmities and limitations and afflictions related to their bodies, even though their hearts are free and they soar, for some people, even in our church family. This body has not been a blessing so much as a challenge to manage to get through, to reach for God in spite of the shell we've been given to wear. In fact, sometimes we can feel trapped in the body God gave us. Longing for a day when we could be free of this body. The good news of the bodily resurrection of those who are in Christ is that one day you will be free of the body that you have. You might ask, and Paul anticipated this question, but someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? You're going to die, be put to rest in a box covered with dirt, and one day that body will rise again. And some people might be thinking, that doesn't sound like such a good deal to me. Could could I maybe get a different one? (laughs) If I get the same old body and it's going to last forever, I don't know if I welcome that news. So here's what Paul says. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Here's the glorious hope of the resurrection, is that our souls will be reunited to our bodies but they will not be the bodies we left behind. What was planted in the ground was mortal. What will come out will be immortal. What went into the ground was broken and weak. What will come out will be glorious and strong. That is at least part of the promise. Do you know that when Adam and Eve were first created, there was no blemish, no defect. Everything broken in creation broke When sin entered the picture. Let's not kid ourselves. That's exactly what's happening in our world. You can be of all different religions. But you cannot deny the fact. That the selfishness. The evil. The hatred. The sin. In the hearts of men and women. Is what is responsible for everything that sucks about this world. Everything. Some of you work in law enforcement. I don't need to to really pull and stretch to convince you. 
That our world is broken and it's broken because of the sin in the hearts of humanity. And when it's broken, it means that we also break everything. We break the planet. We break society. We break promises. We break each other's hearts. We steal innocence from children. There's nothing we won't break because with the fall of humanity, with the entrance of sin into the picture, everything started to decay. And in the resurrection, God in one single move will reverse the decay and the corruption which the fall of mankind introduced into the created world. It says that he will restore the world. In other passages, he will restore the world to what it was always meant to be. And I've always been intrigued by that last little phrase in the the passage we read this morning, um, Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Look what it says. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Go back some time and read the resurrection accounts of Jesus. Those accounts of people who saw him, hung out with him for those days after he came out of the grave, before he ascended into heaven. What you'll notice is it was a physical body. He sat by a fire and ate fish. He let people touch him, poke their fingers through the nail-scarred hands. But he also walked through walls and seemed to appear out of the blue. And that really gives me a, 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 a uh, spark for the imagination. That if our resurrected bodies will be like his, that it won't just be a fixed version of the one I have. It's going to be version 2.0. Some upgrades will be built in. Ben Franklin, who um, through most of his life was a deist, when he was a younger man, wrote an epitaph that he hoped would be engraved on his tombstone. Later on, I don't know what happened, but it, it, it was downgraded to just a simple Ben and, Frank, uh, and Deborah Franklin. That's all it says on there. But here's what he circulated widely when he was a younger man and said, this is what I hope will be on my gravestone. The body of B. Franklin, printer. Like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped to its lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms. But the work will not be lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, corrected and improved by the author. The bodily resurrection of the dead, our future resurrection, is good news, especially for those who have to wrestle through a body that doesn't work very well here on earth. But like that quote from N.T. Wright, which Bobby read at the the beginning of that last song, the resurrection of the body also sends a clear message to us that the body matters to God. He doesn't see the flesh as something to be discarded, left behind. He sees the flesh as something that needs to be recovered and redeemed. In other words, God isn't only heavenly minded. He cares about what happens down here. This earthly story matters to God. He is intensely interested in it. And so there is another resurrection we will also share in with Christ. And that is what we would refer to as our present resurrection. This idea that the resurrection power of Jesus is not only about whether we will go to heaven or hell someday, 
but whether we will experience newness of life even here before we die. It says, just as Christ was raised from the dead, Romans 6, 4, through the glory of the Father, we too may what? Live a new life. You know, that little phrase can either fill you with despair or fill you with hope. Because I think in the end, there are very few people I've ever met who, when they're honest, would not love a new life. It's not that everything in their life is bad, but they know that in the quiet moments when they're really brutally honest, there is some stuff in this life we just can't seem to get away from. Have you ever just been sick of yourself? Am I the only one? Can you give me some encouragement? You guys are all just so cool with yourselves and love yourself. Some days I just, I'm so sick of me. I just want to kick myself. I, I, w- I wish there was some safe way to beat myself up, but someday I just go, you know, I'm sick of this guy. He's so full of it. So weak. You are such a failure. You're a fraud. How do you dare stand in front of people and talk about spiritual things? If we're honest about it, the idea of a new life is always, always compelling. Here's what I've realized, though, is that it's not really the desire to change that we wrestle with. Everybody wants to change. Even the people who act stubbornly like they don't care. I don't want to change. I'm happy with myself. I don't really believe it. I don't think they do either. Here's where I think the struggle is. It's not found mainly in the desire to change, but in the ability, or more accurately, in the inability to change. The reason we get so negative, so cynical and skeptical is not because we don't want to change, but because we've tried secretly and it doesn't work. Because we're convinced that real change is a joke. It doesn't happen. And when you look around, you wonder, how many people do I really know who have truly, truly changed? How many? All right, you picked up some good habits. You you say, oh, H-E double hockey sticks, you know, things like that. You say, oh, snap, instead of the other word. So, you know, you've come up with some replacement habits, but in your heart, the Mayberry version of profanity still arises out of a profane heart, doesn't it? When I say, oh, snap, what do you think I'm thinking? Snaps on my jacket? I'm, I'm thinking of poop. I'm, am I not? Like, let's just be honest about it. Oh, good night. And all those other euphemisms we use as Christian swearing. And we think about that, and we think, all right, so I've learned to suppress the bad habits. But you wonder, am I really, really changing? I asked my husband to spend more time with the family, and he grudgingly comes home at five. All right, I'm here. So what? And he's physically there, but in his heart, you just get that feeling. I know, but it's not really what I wanted was for your carcass to be in the building at five. I kind of wanted you to show up. And so even while we modify our behavior, there's a suspicion deep in our hearts that real change doesn't happen. But this is where the resurrection of Jesus and the power over death is such good news for us. Because I believe in our present resurrection, there's this idea that because Jesus beat death, 
He can also beat the stuckness of our lives. I'll bet every one of us has set out to change something about our lives. Maybe our physical appearance, maybe a habit that we wanted to break, maybe something in our character that we know is a mess. And you gave it the good old college try. I, I, that's insulting to everyone who didn't go to college, but you know, look, you, you gave it your best effort, didn't you? And in the end, after about three months of pseudo success, you got reacquainted with your crappy self. Oh yeah, I forgot. I suck. I tried so hard to be a different person, but then I came full circle. I'm like, yep, there's me again. Welcome home. And in the midst of that, what you said in your heart was, it's all a lie. No one changes. Even if we so badly want to, we don't have the power to change. But Paul says something very important in this passage in Romans 6. He says, when Jesus beat death, it was an emancipation proclamation. He said, you are no longer slaves to sin. And much of what we want to fix about ourselves, change about ourselves, is sin and all its negative consequences. And what he said is, you have to actively resist the lie that you are powerless to change. Because in fact, when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, what he declared was there is power to change. If he can change from death to life, there is nothing that is outside of the reach of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians. He, he gave a very honest testimony. He said, I want to know Christ. And he's not preaching about the proverbial eye. He's talking about himself, the man. I want to know Christ, yes. To know what? The power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Get this. For Paul, part of understanding and embracing the resurrection power of Jesus lied in what comes next. He says this. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And earlier what he said was that thing that he's pressing on for is real change, to grow, to become more like Christ that is what we are called to. That is what we long for and what our hearts keep wanting to give up on. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. Did you catch that? What Paul is saying is this. I want to apply the resurrection power of Jesus to my life. And the way I will do that is this. Even though my experience and my weakness tell me I won't change, I refuse to believe it. Because if Jesus beat death, he can beat the stubbornness of my heart. He can change the person sitting next to me so that someday, finally, they'll have the courage to make a commitment to change, to stop fighting. There is nothing... I want to see changed that cannot be changed by God. Do you understand that? That is what, what faith ultimately boils down to. I know we're cynical for a reason. Life has taught us to be so. 
So stop studying life and listen to the words of God. He says that it is never foolish to press on when you have the resurrection power of Jesus in view. You will always be a work in progress. But if Jesus can conquer death, he can change you. Do you believe that real change is possible? Now, I'm going to tell you, my GPA, my God percentage average or whatever, my godliness percentage average, it's not, uh, it's not very high. Okay? I think I'm probably like a C student. But there are parts of my life where I have so genuinely changed that I feel like when I look in those places, it is for me the living proof that the power of God is real. I won't tell you all those things because the sermon is not about me, but I'll bet you that if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, there are some things in you, not everything, but some things that you have so profoundly been transformed that you know it's not foolish to hope for change. Let me give you one last thing about our present resurrection, and that is this idea of revival. See, our bodies are not the only things that die in this life, are they? Lots of things. We, over the course of a human life, you experience lots and lots of little deaths. Around fourth grade, your innocence dies, unless it's snatched from you earlier than that. But around fourth grade, sociologists tell us your view of the world radically changes and you realize not everyone loves you and the world is not very nice. So your innocence dies at some point. Your hopes die. Your dreams die. You tell people, hey, guess what, mom, dad? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be this. And they go, oh, get serious. That's not a job. Be an accountant and then do that for a hobby. And your dreams die a little bit, don't they? You're like, I should have just done it and then told you what I did. Because every time I tell you my dreams, you kick them. You suck them dry. Maybe your optimism dies. Maybe a relationship dies. Your ability to forgive or to think differently about someone. You once loved them, now you hate them. And you wonder, will I ever feel differently about that person? I can't believe I used to love them so much. Now they make my skin crawl. Will I ever feel different? There are lots of things that die in us, aren't there? What's dead in your life? There was a time when Jesus had a good friend named Lazarus, and Lazarus died while Jesus was out traveling, doing ministry far away. People sent word, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is dying. We know you have power over death. Come do something. But Jesus was very slow in coming back to town. By the time he got back, Lazarus had been dead in the grave for four days. Everyone's kind of like, oh, Jesus, I'm glad you're here, but too late. And Jesus has this very interesting exchange with Lazarus' sister, Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, we know the rest of the story, but listen, she doesn't. He says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, of course, gave the, the good Sunday school answer. Yes, I know, Lord. Uh, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What a lie. That's not what she's feeling. She's like, he'd already still be alive if you hadn't been so slow 
getting here. That's what she wanted to say is, thanks for coming when it's too late, and they give me platitudes about him rising again. I'd rather just have him now. But like a good Christian, she gives the correct answer. I know he will rise again in the resurrection. at the last. It's not a bad answer. It's correct. But that wasn't what Jesus was saying. See, he didn't mean he will rise again someday. He meant he's going to rise again right now. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I'm always amazed at the bad rap Christianity gets because if you actually read it, if you pay attention, not if you're cynical and sarcastic and a smart aleck and just dismiss it, if you actually have the integrity to pay attention and look at it, it is one of the most positive faiths in the world. When you look at the words of Jesus, he talked far more about life than death. And what he said was, I am life. Whatever is dead, I will push back to life. Things don't stay dead around me forever. What Jesus was saying is, by my power and my victory over death, what he declared for all of us was that what is dead doesn't ever have to stay dead. Do you hear this? What is dead does not have to stay dead. What inside of you is dead today? Some of us stopped being optimistic a long time ago. Some of us stopped believing a long time ago. Some of us stopped loving our families a long time ago. And the reason we persist in that deadness inside of us is because we think death is permanent. How do you ever change the way you feel when it's been 20 years and running where I felt this way about you and about this and about us and all of it? Where am I going to go and find a new way to think and to feel and to hope? How will a dead hope become a living hope? My last relationship bruised me beyond the ability to ever trust anyone again. I can't look at people and believe in them anymore. I believe everybody's a liar. That death inside of you doesn't have to stay dead. This is the good news of the resurrection power of Jesus, is that whatever inside of you has died can come back to life in Christ. And I don't say that as theory. I have watched this happen in the lives of real people. I have seen them not just move on, but come to life. What is dead does not have to stay dead. You know, if you think about what a chrysalis is, doesn't that just look like a dead thing? If I saw that and I didn't take biology class in high school, I saw that hanging from a leaf in my garden, I would pull it off and throw it away. But even though it looks like death, this is what comes out. And I think that is such an apt illustration for what faith is like. See, you look at the deadness in your life right now, and every voice in you and around you says, this is dead, it's done. There is no future. It's going to just be like this 
forever. But you give God time to work. And this is what comes up. And I'm, I'm telling you again, I, this is not just theory for me. People I love with all my heart, I have watched in the 11th hour of their life, in their 90s, radically, radically change. I've seen the regret come over their eyes when they realize how much of their lives they've wasted. But I see the change happening. It's as if a light is turned on where it was dark forever. So I'm going to ask you the same question that Jesus asked Martha. When he made an audacious statement in the midst of a hopeless situation. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And this is ongoing. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I believe that we Christians should be the most hope-filled, optimistic people walking on this planet. And it would be stupid to say something like that apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You take away the resurrection, there is nothing to rejoice in. Look, lots of people have died for others. The story ended a good Friday. I just say, man, that's awesome. Thanks. But in a sense, all I'd be saying is thanks for nothing because anyone can die. But not anyone can rise up again. In the resurrection, Jesus actually gave us hope. Without Easter Sunday, every Sunday would just be a memorial service, not a celebration. But because Jesus walked out of that empty tomb, what that signals for us is everything that's dead can and will come back to life. Death is not the end of the story as it once was because there is someone stronger than death. Do you believe it? Why don't we bow our heads and let's just um, respond in our own way. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.